Hey Parkview, this is Stinkling number two, one of my closest confidants, Eddie Lowen, this weekend is preaching for us. Uh, he's at the Westside Church in uh, Springfield, Illinois. And uh, I, I can't tell you enough about how much I love this guy, how much uh, we've been in each other's lives. His son is also one of our interns right now. You see him singing every once in a while. He was also the, the one who came up and said, hey, I think somebody's smoking pot in the men's restroom during the Christmas Eve service. So I don't know if that tells you anything one way or the other. Uh, Eddie's one of my great friends, and I'm excited for you to hear from him today. Would you please welcome my friend Eddie Lowen? Well, hello, Parkview. It's great to be with you today. Uh, maybe you've heard of this city where I live. It's Springfield, Illinois. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone, but Springfield is the capital of Illinois. It's not Chicago. I, I know that uh, Chicago thinks it runs the state. You guys probably do run the state in a lot of ways, but uh, it's not in the textbooks up here, so I just wanted to clarify Springfield is the capital of Illinois. Now, let's face it. Chicago has all the sex appeal. I mean, when's the last time you saw a police drama set in Springfield, Illinois? It's not going to happen. Chicago gets all the press. You get all the visibility. You've got Lake Mich Michigan. You've got the skyline. I mean, look at this amazing photo taken from an airplane just a few months ago. This guy looks out the window of his airplane, and he sees this. Look at the opening in the clouds. You see the Chicago skyline upside down. That's because you're seeing it in the reflection of Lake Michigan. I mean... That is Chicago. That is awesome. And Springfield really cannot touch that. That's Lake Michigan. Here's Lake Springfield. <laughs> and it looks like the water was pretty clear that day, actually. So, Look, we get it. We know there's a cultural divide between you guys in Chicago and between those of us downstate. It's Chicago this, Chicago that. Your city's the cultural center of the state. But let's be honest, my city is the seat of power. Uh, you've got the concerts and the celebrities and the professional sports teams, but in Springfield, we decide who raised the prize pig in the state of Illinois. So the power is all with us. Seriously, all the policies in the great state of Illinois are created in my city. So I've come to apologize. I do have very good news for you, however. We all know the recent trend with our governors and where they spent a few years of their lives after being governors. They've given the comedians lots of late night material, but there's one hope. Uh, there is a former governor of our state who attends my church and has never been to jail. So it can be done. It's just nice to know that it can be done. Now, my son Evan is on your uh, Worship staff is an intern. I'm really grateful for how this church and your leaders are pouring into his life. And I know that he's very familiar to you, but I just don't want you to fail to realize uh, what a great guy you have as your lead pastor. Uh, Tim is a guy with a unique blend of personality and passion and I just want you to appreciate him. You know, sometimes when we're married to a great person or we have great kids or we have a great job or we have a great church, we just begin to take those people or those places uh, for granted. And I don't want you to do that to your pastor. Uh, he's one of the very, very best. You should be really grateful for him. Like some of you, I've done a lot of church in my life. Lots of Sunday school as a child, worship services every weekend most of my life. 
daily chapel messages when I was in college. I've heard lots of teaching by cassette, by CD, by podcast. I've written and preached a couple thousand sermons. But there is an event in the life of Jesus that I have mostly overlooked in my own teaching, and it seems to be overlooked in the teaching of many other people. It inspired a major holiday in some parts of the world, but Christians on our side of the planet seem to almost ignore it. And I'm talking about the event that we know as the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's a shame that we often bypass this because it's a fascinating moment. It's recorded in three of the four biographies of Jesus' life that appear in our Bibles. And that just shouts, this is important. So let's get reacquainted with the transfiguration today. And I want us to discover how it can draw us closer to God. And I think you're going to see that very clearly. I want to read mostly from Matthew chapter 17 where this is recorded, but it is also in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. Matthew 17 begins this way. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up on a high mountain to be alone. Now, if you've ever begun watching a movie in the middle of the film, you know how hard it is to appreciate a scene in the middle of the movie for which you've really had no setup and no background. And when we turn to any passage in the Bible, we're normally looking at a scene from the middle of a plot. And that's why it helps to know what leads up to this moment because it helps create this moment. For a long time prior to this, Jesus has been allowing his disciples to form conclusions about him based on the things that he is teaching and based on the miracles that he is working. And he will occasionally speak very plainly about who he is and from where he's come, but he doesn't do that a lot. He lets them learn who he is and draw those conclusions. Really, Jesus was too big for them to grasp. Even though they had seen him do things that only God could do, that could only be done through the power of God, they just were not grasping his full identity. So right before the transfiguration, right before this scene that we're looking at today, Jesus begins to speak very plainly about who he is and why he has come. And he asks Peter, one of his disciples, one of these guys who goes on the mountain with Jesus, who do you think I am? And Peter gives him a great answer. He uses words that we still use today when we say that we believe in Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. So Peter gives the right theological response. He passes the Bible quiz. But have you ever known the facts and yet failed to realize the implications of those facts? For example, guys, before you were married, if someone had asked you, what does it mean to be married, you could have given them a definition. You could have given an explanation of what marriage is. But you really didn't know what it meant to be a married man until you got married and your wife began teaching you what it means <laughs> to be a married man. And by the way, that's been the plot line for just about every sitcom that has ever been created. The guy is figuring out what it means to be married. And ladies, if you're a mom, you knew what it meant to have a baby before you had a baby. I mean, somewhere along the line, your mother or someone who just wanted to see the stunned expression on your face told you where babies come from, and you went... 
And you walked away from that conversation knowing what it meant to have a baby, but you didn't really know what childbirth is until you experienced it. And that changed you. That experience changed you in a way that information alone could not. Well, that is exactly what is about to happen to Peter and James and John. Jesus invites them to go up on this mountain with him. And going up on a mountain was always important in the Bible. It always had this this idea of getting close to God. And that's what goes on on mountains in the Bible throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. God did fantastic things on mountains. Moses saw God and received the Ten Commandments on a mountain. And the scene that we're looking at today from Jesus' life is really a reenactment of Moses on Mount Sinai with some very important differences. So a few days before the transfiguration, Peter reaches a place where he can verbally express who Jesus is. Jesus says, who do you think I am? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. But that is information. That is knowledge. And the transfiguration moment on the mountain is going to translate that information into a deep realization for Peter. Because information about God will not change you. Coming into this space, into this room, and gathering information about God will not change you. We are transformed when we experience the truth. When the truth impacts us personally, that's true in marriage, and it's true in childbirth, it's true in parenthood, and it's true in our walk with God. We need an encounter with God to fully know him. We need an experience, and the Bible calls this being born again. And in our culture and in our day, that term is so loaded that a lot of us who believe in Christ have run away from that term because some have seized that term and have defined it really in a different way than the Bible does. But being born again simply means this, that information becomes very personal, that there's an encounter with God and it changes you from the inside out. And it's what we all need. And whether you know it or not, it is what we all want. It's beyond knowledge. Now, the other thing that you would see if you were to study the chapters around this transfiguration moment in the life of Jesus is that this is a turning point for Jesus. This is the beginning of the end for Jesus. When Jesus descends the mountain after this experience, he makes his way to Jerusalem and he knows exactly what is waiting for him. He knows that there is an arrest and a sham of a trial and he knows there is suffering and crucifixion. And this moment, the transfiguration, is a dramatic pause. It's an interlude, it's an intermission before that great final act. Now this sermon, the lesson I'm teaching today is not a lesson on prayer, but if you'll allow me just one detour for a moment, I can't help but notice that the guys that Jesus chose as his closest followers and the guys who were gonna launch his mission in the world were really lousy at prayer to begin with. So if you are bad at prayer, If you feel guilty when you hear people begin talking about prayer, if you think prayer is not your thing and probably never will be, then Jesus might have chosen you to be one of his 12 disciples. 
because they weren't good at prayer either. I mean, here we see Jesus taking these guys up on the mountain, wanting them to pray with him, and they're going to fall asleep. And a few days later, they're going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to ask them to pray, and they're going to fall asleep again. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the Bible says, is sweating blood, and his friends are sawing logs. And I love that God included this kind of information in the Bible for us because I I think sometimes we have this sanitized, spiritualized view of the people who follow Jesus that just is not accurate. You see, when I read about that, it gives me hope when I recognize that I'm really bad at prayer sometimes too. I'm embarrassed by how often I have worked really hard and worried a lot, but prayed little. But if the original followers of Jesus who launched his mission in the world, if they were lousy at prayer to begin with, then there can be hope for me too. In fact, we find Peter, not long after these events, Jesus has gone back to heaven and Peter's one of the guys who is launching the church. And Peter goes up on the roof of a house in Acts chapter 10 and he prays. And it's not because Jesus asked, it's not because Anyone ordered him? Nobody said, hey, Peter, this is going to be written in the Bible. It would be a good idea for you to pray so that people would see that you prayed. No one said anything like that to him. He goes up midday, and he begins praying. Now, these first two times where Peter prayed and where it didn't go well and he fell asleep, he was trying to pray at night. Then when we see him in Acts chapter 10, Peter is praying during the day. I think Peter realized it's easier to pray during the day than it is to pray at night. For example, how many times have you crawled in bed and begun to pray, and you have no idea how you finished praying? You don't know what you said last because you went to sleep. You started out by saying, dear God, Father in heaven, hey, Jesus, whatever it is. You opened your prayer, but you never said amen at the end because you were asleep. And so what Peter shows us is maybe you should find a different time to pray. Night is not the time when a lot of people do well praying. Pray on your lunch break. Find another time to pray. Well, Peter, James, and John may have been sleepy up on the mountain right before the transfiguration, but they're going to wake up very quickly. Look at verse 2. As those men watched Jesus, he, uh, his appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So it's nighttime, and these guys have their eyes closed But you know how your eyes can be closed, but a bright light can penetrate through your eyelids? Well, they open their eyes, and they see this super bright light. Listen to how Mark describes it in his version of this event. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Sounds like a Tide commercial, doesn't it? Dazzling white clothing. Now, this is not a vision. These guys have never seen Jesus. This is not a movie playing in their heads. This is actually happening. Jesus is glowing bright white, and it gets even wilder in verse 3. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, when dead people show up and begin talking to you, your friends are probably going to think something strange is happening. And so Jesus' friends are dumbfounded by this. They can't believe what's going on. Have you seen the commercial where Justin Timberlake shows up at the fan of a house and she just does not know what to do with herself and then she's playing the guitar and singing for Justin Timberlake and then it dawns on her she's singing for Justin Timberlake 
and she just about comes apart. Well, this is how it must have been for Peter and James and John because Moses and Elijah were as big as it could possibly get for Jewish guys like Peter, James, and John. Moses is the great lawgiver and Elijah is the greatest of the prophets. And here they are back from the dead talking to Jesus. But here's the surprising thing. All this bright light, all this glory, it's not coming from Moses. It's not coming from Elijah. It's coming from their friend Jesus. In the presence of people like Moses and Elijah, Jesus seems to be the star of the show. Now, there was a time when Moses actually did glow. Do you remember that time? When he came down from being with God, the Israelites said, Moses, dude, your face is glowing. And you remember Moses put a veil over his face because he was self-conscious about it? By the way, there's a great verse in the New Testament that says, we unveil our faces and we let the glory of God shine through our lives. I, I love that passage. But Moses did shine at one time. But Moses' face shone as a reflection of God. Jesus' face shone because he's a revelation of God. Moses' face was shining because he'd been with God, and Jesus' face was shining because he is God. The Bible says Jesus surrendered that kind of appearance, and he came to earth, and he humbled himself to become a human being. So Peter, James, and John had never seen Jesus like this before. They didn't know this is who he really is. This is what he really looks like. And on this night, Jesus wants a taste of home. He wants to be fully who he is, his glorious self. And so he allows his three friends to see him like that. And the one who shed his glory to become incarnated was decarnated in that moment and took on his glory again. And it completely freaked out Peter, James, and John. What would you do if you saw Jesus, not in his human form as he appeared for 30-some years on earth, but if you saw him in his divine majesty? By the way, you're going to see him in his divine majesty. You would either be very afraid or you would be very excited or both. Look at how Peter responded. Verse 4. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, you have to love Peter because he's always transparent, and you always know what is on Peter's mind. The problem is that what is on Peter's mind should normally not be on Peter's mind. What he thinks should not be what he is thinking. And so, it's just a good thing none of us have that problem, right? Thinking the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. I love what Luke says about Peter and this moment in his account of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. In verse 33 of Luke 9, he adds this parenthetical note, Peter did not know what he was saying. <laughs> That's Luke's gracious way of saying, Peter can sometimes be an idiot. And can you see what is wrong with Peter's suggestion about building these shelters as memorials to Jesus and Moses and Elijah? You see, these shelters are really many tabernacles. What is a tabernacle? It's a place of worship. And Peter was trying to pay Jesus a compliment by saying, Jesus, I'm going to build you 
a mini tabernacle just like I want to build Moses and Elijah. But he was actually insulting Jesus by equating Moses and Elijah to Jesus. So one chapter earlier, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter gives this incredibly accurate and awesome answer, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. That's perfect. But then a few days later at the transfiguration, Peter is struggling to fully grasp what it means that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of God. Does anyone else here, do you know any truth about God that you've had trouble incorporating into your life and your thinking? If so, Peter can identify with you, and I can identify with you. I'm right there with you. Well, back in Matthew 17, verse 5, it says this, but even as Peter spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now, when you think back to Moses in Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, Moses came down, face is glowing, he's been with God. The presence of God and the glory of God was expressed visibly through the cloud that came on the mountain. And God said, look, when the cloud is on the mountain, don't even step at the base of the mountain. Don't even let your animals step at the base of the mountain or you will die and the animals will die because it represents the presence of God. So Peter knows that, James and John, they know that. And so a bright cloud is descending on this mountain. I think they were terrified by this moment. We're gonna see, in fact, that they were. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, and they fell face down on the ground. I really love that. I really love what God did here. While Peter is yapping his dumb idea about creating Places of worship for Moses and Elijah and equating them with Jesus. Instead of rebuking him, God just comes in his presence. God just descends on that place. And as much out of mercy as anything, God audibly speaks before Peter can blurt out any more heresy. Now, I don't know that in this moment God's voice sounded like Morgan Freeman, but I'm pretty sure God's voice sounded like Morgan Freeman. I mean, when I read this, that's what I hear. I hear Morgan Freeman's voice in my head. And if you recognize the words that God spoke in this moment, that's good. It means you know some Bible because when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, God spoke from heaven on that occasion also. And God said some of the very same things. He said, Jesus is my son. I love him and I'm pleased with him. But here on the mountain of transfiguration, God adds one more statement. He says one more thing. Did you catch it? God says, listen to him. Now Moses is right there, and Elijah is right there. And yet God is saying, I want you to listen to Jesus. Now that's incredible to Peter, James, and John because there was a time when God expected people to listen to Moses. I mean, there was a time when God opened up the ground and allowed it to swallow people who stubbornly refused to listen to Moses. And there was a time when God held back rain 
for years at a time because people stubbornly refused to listen to Elijah. So here these great spokesmen of God are there right on the spot. And God is not saying, you listen to Moses, you listen to Elijah. God is saying, even if Moses and Elijah are here, you listen to my son. In another book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, which is also in your New Testament, that book begins with these words, and I think you can tie these words to the scene we're looking at today. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, like Moses, and through the prophets, like Elijah, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then in verse 3, it says, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Did you catch it? The radiance of God's glory. We're not absolutely certain who wrote the book of Hebrews, but whoever wrote it was either present for this moment or they heard all about it because this moment is the only time that the Bible records when Jesus radiated glory in this way. So with the Judaism Hall of Fame right there, Moses and Elijah, God points everyone to Jesus. He is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. You listen to him. And that poses an obvious question to you and to me. How well are you listening to Jesus? And how does your life reflect the fact that you are paying attention to what he's saying? You say, well, I believe in Jesus. Man, that's important. You say, well, I've acknowledged that he is Lord and he is God's son. That's kind of what Peter did. But you can tell from this event that there was something yet left for Peter to do. And there is something left for us to do after we have believed in Jesus and acknowledged him. We have to spend the rest of our lives listening to him and following him. And you see, this moment stayed with Peter all of his life. Near the end of his life, Peter was writing a letter to some Christians, and we call it Second Peter, and he wrote this. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When was Peter an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus? It was in this moment that we're looking at today. And the thing I love about Peter is that his life proves that God doesn't look for great people and then say, I'm going to use you because you're great. God looks for usable people and he says, I'm going to make you great if you will listen to me and follow me. You can be great for God if you will listen to him and follow him. Do you know why? It is so difficult for us to listen to the voice of Jesus today. It's because there are so many competing voices. There are more than ever. You know, at one time there were three basic TV networks, and then there was a fourth, and everybody said, man, the world is changing. It's amazing. And now we've got hundreds of networks and hundreds of channels, and we've got Hulu and Roku and Netflix, and online there's Wikipedia and Yahoo Voices, and there are millions upon millions of opinions and voices. And do you know how many of those voices really want to influence you? Do you know how many of those voices want you to change the way you live and think and believe based on what they are saying? 
almost all of them want you to change your life in some way because of the message they are speaking. They want to tell you how to think and how to vote, how to make decisions about sex, how to prioritize your faith. There are voices coming from singers and teachers and authors and actors and professors and politicians and imams and priests and parents and Ellen and Oprah and Bill Nye and Ken Ham, Springer, O'Reilly, Beck and Gaga, Limbaugh, Fallon, Stewart, Marr, skeptics, believers, friends, and preachers. And every voice is certain that he or she knows how you should change your life and how you should live your life and where you came from and how you got here and what you should do with your life. And with a billion voices ringing in your ears, how are you supposed to discern and navigate and prioritize all of those voices and all the claims those voices are making? Well, here is God's answer to you, and it's God's answer to me. God didn't say, listen to your favorite singer and do what the lyrics tell you to do. He didn't say, listen to your favorite actor and emulate the characters that you really admire. He didn't say, listen to Eddie. And God definitely did not say, listen to your own heart. Do you know what the Bible says about your heart and my heart? Don't listen to your heart until your heart has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And God didn't say, travel to Tibet and listen to the voices there. He didn't say, bow toward Mecca and listen to that voice. He didn't say, listen to Rome because that's where the true message is coming from. God said, Jesus is my son. His is the voice you need to hear. So listen to him. As I was preparing this message and reading through this passage, there are some verses that I had seen before, but they never really impacted me. So as I prepared to preach on the transfiguration for the first time, I think I just saw these verses in a fresh way, and they wrecked me. In the message version of the Bible, verses six through eight read like this. When the disciples heard it, when they heard the voice of God, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came over and touched them saying, don't be afraid. I want you to read the next words with me. Read it out loud with me. And when they opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus, only Jesus. Listen, someday all the other voices are going to be silent. The one billion, the 10 billion voices are going to be silent. The voices that say intelligent people do not believe in God, those voices will be silent except for when their knees bow and their tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The demonic voices that whisper self-destructive and murderous thoughts into the minds of disturbed people. Those voices are going to be silent. The voice that says you don't matter and no one will miss you if you are gone is going to be silent. The voice that tells you that your purpose on this planet is to find as much personal pleasure as is possible, that voice is going to be silent. And on that final day, when the truth about everything comes to light and becomes obvious, your heart is going to break if you have listened to voices other than the voice of Jesus. Do you know why Tim 
will stand here on this platform and urge you to read your Bible. It's not so that you'll be a good religious boy or a good religious girl and do the religious thing. He wants you to read your Bible because you're going to hear the voice of Jesus when you're reading the Bible. And the Holy Spirit is going to use the Bible to speak into your life. And you need to hear that voice because one day there's going to be a cataclysmic event and the world as we know it is going to come to an end and we are all going to look up and you know what we're going to see? We're going to see Jesus, only Jesus. There's a verse that you guys use at Parkview a lot and Tim will use it to close the gatherings when you come for worship. And so I just want to take you to that verse and I want to urge you from now on when Tim leads that, I would just love for you to say it and hear it in a fresh way because there's a phrase in this verse that really ties into everything we've talked about in the event that we've looked at today. It's from number six, and you've heard it often from Tim's lips. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Listen to his voice. His face will shine on you and he will give you his peace. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you. Thanks so much for giving us an opportunity to know about this moment and to look into the life of Jesus. Thanks so much for portraying the apostles, the disciples, in the way that you have in, in reality. Thanks for letting us see their weaknesses. But thanks most of all for sending Jesus and for his humility to come into our world and to take on the form of a servant, the appearance of a human being. And thanks for this moment in time when he, for just a few moments, became who he really is. And when some of the great men of the faith deferred to him and taught his disciples and all of us who read about this event since that he is the son of God. And God, we want to thank you for not only giving us information about yourself and about Jesus, but by being willing to enter into our lives and to make us new. Thanks for the opportunity to be born all over, to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there's any one of us that has just been an information gatherer up to this point in our Christian experience, that we would open our lives and listen to Jesus and allow you to transform us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Please make his face shine on us. Amen.